Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, The Big Show, the largest and most important podcast that is recorded in our car. And we're driving in our car. We're going, well, we're going north, but at the moment we're going west. But we're going north. Going north today. And despite what those vultures think, we're not dying. We're being circled. We're here in North Missouri. We're heading towards the Iowa border at the moment. And you know what we're not going to be running into in Iowa? Elephants? Good good point. There are no elephants in Iowa that I know about. The Saint or the Des Moines Zoo borrowed one for a while, or two actually. Probably don't let them roam on the roads though. No, but they were just borrowed elephants. Yes. I think the nearest nearest elephants to us is probably the St. Louis Zoo, as a guess. Omaha. Might be closer from here. Might be closer from here. I'm not I would have to measure. So yeah, we're we're they're not gonna have elephants though. Well we're having we got a mystery podcast here. And we're gonna talk about other things that probably don't occur in North Missouri. And we shouldn't probably really Spend a whole lot of time prepping for them. There's a mystery podcast because my co-host Spice does not have any idea what we're going to talk about. We could talk about um, tsunamis. We could. They're unlikely here. Very unlikely here. And if they hit here, we've got worse problems. (laughs) We're about 900 feet above sea level at about 1,000 miles from any coast. That's a guess. But it's a pretty good guess. Since the Gulf of Mexico is probably as close as anything to here, and it's 900 and some odd miles to the Gulf of Mexico. And it has to cross mountain ranges between us and it. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, long story short, I'm going to try and dial this in a little bit. We're going to talk about something, at least to start with, something that I've been seeing popping up in my news feeds lately. And it seems to happen every two or three years, and I'm not really sure because I haven't followed all the links. But there seems to be people starting to come up with with prepping articles about it and understanding and explaining it. And I'm just kind of almost rolling my eyes a little bit over the subject. But that's right. Our old friend Ebola is back in the news again. Oh, I or, haven't seen the Ebola. Yeah, I've, I've seen two or three of them in the last day. So one of the things we're going to talk about is infectious diseases like Ebola. What are the real concerns and what do we really have to watch out for? Now, the reason that Ebola scares people so badly is it's just so darn deadly. And it's such a horrific Horrific it's a disease. Really unpleasant way to die. Yeah. Any kind of kind of hemorrhagic fever is just a bad thing. Okay? It is. When your immune system turns against you, the story is bad. Having said that, in unless something drastically changes in the transmission of Ebola, which could be done, but hasn't. It is a very difficult disease for one person in North Missouri to catch. And Spice is going to tell us why. Because it's not on this continent? That's the basic reason. Right, but even if it were on this continent, it's not that easy to catch. 
It's just not. If one human has it, it's pretty easy to catch it from that human. If you're taking care of them. Yes. But having, again, having said that, this is a first world country. We have first world medical care. And unlike Africa, we don't have the stigma. A lot of Ebola is caught in Africa because it's a stigmatized disease. So people will not go to seek medical care as soon as they suspect they have it? Right. And they often end up getting taken care of at home by people with neither training nor equipment. Or any type of protective material. And so the whole family gets it. And that's where the big outbreaks come from is because... You know, it's not only a deadly disease that you have to treat in a specific and very careful way with the right tools and be very, very careful, but it's a disease with a kind of a longer incubation period and a stigma attached to it, too. And the funeral practices in Africa require a lot of contact with the deceased by the family members. Okay, so and let's let's just take so we're we're going to use Ebola as an example because it's what pops up in the news. But there are other diseases that are like this. They may not be exactly like this, but I'm thinking off the top of my head a uh, 1918 flu type disease, much more virulent uh, or I mean, much more transmissible. Yes, because it was uh, pneumonic. The most easy way to catch a disease is for cough droplets from one person to travel through the air, land on a surface, last for some period of time, and then be able to be transmitted to the hands of somebody else. And then the new victim transfers those viruses to their own mucous membranes, usually via hand contact with infected surfaces, sometimes from directly breathing the droplets being coughed by the person who's expelling them. That is, the most highly transmissible diseases are transmitted by that, that mechanism. Right. And the, the you know, people need to un- remember that, you know, you think about coughing and transmission, and some of these uh, viruses are aerosolized, or an aerosol. It's not just the droplets. And it's coming into your body through any orifice. That can transmit, and people don't remember. Yeah, you cover your mouth, you cover your nose, but your eyes are a real serious uh, infection uh, portal. If you uh, see medical people now who are caring for people with infectious diseases, you'll notice they are often wearing clear face shields to uh, stop little droplets from hitting their surface of their eyes. Also, any breaks in the skin are a good way to get them across. So if you've been caring for, you've touched something that's got these viral particles on it, if you've got any breaks in your skin, they can get in that way. If you're so freaked out by having to deal with somebody who's got this infectious disease that you wash so frequently and so aggressively that you cause skin irritation, you're causing micro breaks in the skin and actually increasing the risk of transmission that way. I I ran into that last year, two years, last year. We had a really, yeah, flu season was really, really bad in our area. Really, really, really bad. The flu shot did not work hardly at all. They missed. 
They they whiffed on it. Sucker so, mutated on them. Yeah, it it just it didn't. It was only a fraction of a percent. I mean, it was a very tiny percent of about thirty percent. The actual disease that hit around here was nowhere near the flu shot, though. They missed. It happens. And even the best flu shots are just good guesses as to, based on of what was uh, what was going around over across the pond six months ago, which generally is what comes over here. And they know they're not going to catch all the strains. They go for the top three to five strains, which covers about, on a good year, 80% of all transmissions. Right. On a bad year, 30 to 40. Last year's disease was a little more virulent than a lot of them, too. It was a a little more virulent. Uh, They had quite a few deaths from older people and infants and children and people with uh, compromised immune systems. So, anyway, long story short, I was like a fanatic washing my hands. Because I have a job that takes me from one person's desk to another person's desk. And so I'm always constantly moving between desks, and I'm, yep. I'm touching their furniture, I'm touching their uh, uh, keyboards, I'm touching their mice. And a lot of those people have kids who are fantastic little germ transmission factories. Right. So my routine is I go to somebody's desk, I help them out, I turn around, I go back to the kitchen, hot soap or hot water and soap. Then I go on to the next coworker. I do not stop between the two. And they know. I mean, I'm... We have an office where where people are... You know, it's, it's kind of a... Uh, you, you kind of have to have thick skin because we, we get on each other pretty hard. <laughs> we're... we're uh, we joke around a lot. And, you know, it, you could become the butt of the office jokes pretty quickly. But nobody jokes about my compulsive hand washing because what they realize is they don't want the germs that I'm carrying on their keyboard. You know, and if anybody does say anything, do you re- do you know where my hands have been? And they'll give me that look like, oh, your hands. God only knows where <laughs> your hands have been. Boom. End of end of end of discussion. But my hands got, I mean, they were a mess last year. You remember how they looked? Yep. They were red and raw, and they were broke out uh, with... Uh, Micro cracks all over the surface. Yeah. I got to the point where I actually literally started having to wear gloves instead. Because I could, I mean, my hands were just, I could barely use them. So, anyway, appropriate amount of cleaning. And um, so, getting back to the Ebola thing, I look at this Ebola because it, it's, there's so much in this story that trips my prepping trigger because it's so deadly and it's so feared that it's such an easy media push button to get everybody's uh, emotions and feelings cranked up to eleven, and if you get if you let the media crank you up, 
Media loves fear. Sells. Oh, they love fear. That's that's how they make their money. They make their money off making you afraid. That is their job. Their job is to make you afraid so that you will watch them and give them money. I do not... I, I've never understand what's so hard to understand. People these new, people who are news junkies sitting there, oh my gosh, this, oh my gosh. Well, of course that's what it is. They make money scaring you. It's like going to the Halloween movies. God help us. <laughs> you know, they're my, they make their money scaring you. It's their job. So Ebola thing, perfect. I mean, what is more scary than hemorrhagic fever? Very little. <laughs> I mean, being burned alive, maybe? But you don't catch that from somebody else, so you don't have that. Uh, you get in with stranger danger when you start talking about hemorrhagic fevers, too. And people love the stranger danger, and they love the uh, hatred of outsiders because they could be contaminated. That's a that's a deep oh yeah, human fear they're triggering there. Because it's those people. Well, even even back, you look back to where we were. Notice when I, I was talking about the 1918 flu, I called it the 1918 flu. I did not call it the Spanish flu. They didn't start it, guys. We started it. Well, we didn't start it. A pig in Kansas started a pig, it. A pig in Kansas started We didn't start it. So, if you look at it, Bacon is humanity's revenge for the 1918 <laughs> flu. If we people hadn't been so dang addicted to bacon, the hogs wouldn't have been on that farm in the first place. Speaking of which, be sure to fully cook your pork. You know this already. <laughs> anyway, that's another that's another podcast entirely. Now. What are the other lessons to learn from the every time the Ebola pops up? Well, to me, what it is, when I ever hear these words, the first thing I stop and think of and have stopped and think thought of since I've really became a prepper is, okay, this Ebola thing, this is silly. This is a non-issue for me right now. I'm not saying it could never be an issue. It's just something I don't need to worry about here in Missouri. Yeah, I'm not going to catch it in Missouri. I'm not going to catch it in Missouri. I'm going to die one of these days, but it's not going to be from Ebola. But what does Ebola mean? As a prepper, Ebola means cleaning supplies. Ebola means disinfectant. Ebola means protective gear. Whether it be all the way up to a hazmat suit, which, don't laugh, I have some. Not uh, not cases and cases of them, but I have a few in both of our sizes. I have a few that will, I even have a size that will fit anybody. It may require a lot of duct tape for some people. No, oh, duct tape fixes everything. <laughs> but it will fit anybody. Okay? Here's uh... Face shields, isolation gear, masks, and training. Let's pause before we get too carried away with the equipment. And training. If you have a complete hazmat suit and you do not know how to safely don it and take it back off, most importantly, you don't have a hazmat suit. You've got a way to 
hold the germs until you get your paws on them when you take the suit off and transmit it to you that way. We should do a video on the proper way to to uh, take off gloves. Near those plus those neoprene whatever they are. Nitrile usually. Nitrile, yeah. yeah, gloves. Because if you don't know how to take off your gloves, it's no better than not wearing gloves. Because if you're going to infect yourself with, you know, there's a specific way to safely remove gloves. And you need to know it. If you don't know how to do it, well, we'll probably make a video one of these days to show you how to do that. Because it's really simple. And she does it all the time. So, But there is a proper way to do it. So, yes. The Ebola is not a risk, but other fluid transmissible diseases definitely are. And Ebola is in the class of things that are pretty easily transmitted by body fluids. It's not very much aerosolized. It's hard to catch by somebody coughing, although it can happen. Mostly when you catch it, you catch it from other bodily fluids that have been transferred to you. And since people with many kinds of illnesses are ejecting fluids in all directions and cannot can stop themselves from doing that, that ups the risk of transmission. It's actually a mechanism that the viruses are using to promote their own transmission to make you vomit. So. Norovirus is real risk. Real risk. And those we got. Those, those go around. Those we got. And those will kill you. Most every winter. And they will kill you. And if they don't kill you, they will make you so so you want to die. Um, and frankly, if you are if you have one of those and it hits you, you are in, you are down for the count. You are incapacitated. So if you're in a survival situation with a norovirus, you're you're in trouble. It's hard enough to travel in a car when somebody else is driving when you've got norovirus, much less try and motivate on your own feet that would not be a thing. oh my gosh so yeah definitely definitely that's what i think of when i hear these scare things okay ebola is not going to get me but what could that's a similar sort of thing that really does exist here in north missouri here's one thing i think is often overlooked in this discussion is developing personal habits that make you less likely to get transmission. There's something uh, people in my field talk about called universal precautions. That means you handle every single sample of blood or other body fluids as if you knew them to be contaminated. Because sooner or later, you'll be right, and you don't know when. Well, the idea of universal precautions should be extended to contact with the outside world in places where you could be catching communicable diseases from them. I don't have to use universal precautions when I'm running around at the place because nobody else is out at the place. And they're not going to give me anything because they're not there. But when I am at my workplace and I'm touching uh, buttons or door handles, uh, common use items like that, you just should be assuming that there are some germs on some of those surfaces and make sure you get them off before you start handling your food and things. A key point. We'll walk into a restaurant. We'll sit down. We'll order our food off the menu. 
Because we don't want to be rude about making the server wait. Besides, the menu is a commonly handled item. True. You know, once we're once we get past the commonly handled items, we'll head to the bathroom and we'll wash our hands before we eat. Now, how many people? I guarantee you that only a tiny percentage of people who go to a restaurant, who open that front door with a big pole knob, you know, and they go in and they they sit down and they handle a menu that. 200 other people have probably handled the day. They're handling that with, you know, people who may not have washed their hands after they went to the bathroom. People who've been dealing with their snotty kids. People who just changed the baby. Okay? And yeah, I am trying to make you a little germaphobic if you think about it. I've got all that stuff, and then you're just going to sit there and eat with your hands. No. (laughs) You can get by with that at home. Okay, because it's your own germs. And if you're like with us, if one of us has it, we try very hard not to get it to the other person. But it, it's only well, it a, often it's happens only anyway because it, it's a tight house. You know, it's all it's a, it's a fifty fifty whether it works, even if we're really careful. Sometimes it does. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't, even mm-hmm. if we're careful, because we sleep in the same room. We have one bathroom. We have one kitchen. You know, you do what you can, but there's only so much you can do. Um, but like for restaurants and stuff like that, common areas. As long as you're sticking to your area, you should be fine. But when you start handling the stuff other people do, this sounds a little germaphobic, but yeah, I get sick a lot less than other people do. Because, one, I don't have kids. <laughs> you, you just forget about it if you got kids. Your kids are walking little germ bombs. I come in contact with a whole bunch of people in the course of my work, and I still don't get sick as often as yeah, I come as into with with a dozen. The which isn't nearly as many, but they all have kids, so they if you know it's it's there. The other side of that is taking care of yourself in a general way with sleep, food, and exercise, so your immune system's good because yeah, that will allow you to shed a lot of minor exposures without developing overt illness from it. Right, and it is the rare thing, but it does happen, but it is the rare thing where having a good immune system is bad. (laughs) Mostly it's good. Mostly it's good. Mostly it's good. When it's bad, it can be really bad. The hemorrhagic fevers are the example, are the uh, counter example. Yeah. Because that's your own own immune system getting so hyped up against the threat that it kills you. But all in all, much rather have the good immune system. And, of course, the 1918 flu type situation that would be. But this is definitely, and I mean definitely, a um, situation where it's the exception, not the rule. I'm just happening to be driving through ta- through a town, and I've seen the yard sale, so I stopped. Yard sale drive. day. We're it's yard sale day yard all sale. over the area. Lots of preschool stuff, lots of preschool stuff, lots of preschool stuff. Lots of good outdoor work clothes. Sadly, being sold by a person who is 50% bigger than I am, at least. Yeah, uh, (laughs) very, very least. I'd say close to 100% bigger than you are. Yeah, probably. Oh. So, not going to be buying that cool outdoor outdoor wear. And then we're driving past a really nice pool. 
Good immune systems, universal precautions. Uh, your mileage may vary. I usually go for the annual vaccinations. I and do not. I go for them because I am in contact with so very many people, some of whom are absolutely going to be ill when they come to talk to me. So my exposure is basically guaranteed for whatever germs are going around that year. And people who are in my kind of position, seeing a whole bunch of people, some of whom are sick, can be transmission nodes. I'm not so much concerned for myself because I probably wouldn't get very sick and it would help develop my resistance to future illness. So if it was just me, I probably wouldn't do it. But when someone who is in contact with a whole bunch of people gets a disease like that, they serve as transmission nodes to amplify epidemics. So I think it's more of a responsibility if you're a transmission mode kind of person to protect yourself from getting ill on behalf of all the other people you're coming in contact with. That's just an opinion of mine, though. And, of course, another... They always talk about this uh, when it's time to, to do the flu shots, the people who are uh, at risk because they're immunosuppressed. Older people, people who've had uh, medical treatments that suppress immunization, uh, people who've had like chemotherapy recently or other type of situations that people who are on a lot of allergy or autoimmune disorder medications are also in that category and i think a lot of people don't realize that allergy medications often work by immunosuppression so if you take a bunch of those you are probably immunosuppressed to some degree like that one they gave me for for uh allergies allergies that i took one pill of it is a let it alone. potent immunosuppressant. Yeah. What was that thing? Pregna? Prednisone. Yeah. Because I was having really bad allergic reactions, and I've got it if I need it, but I don't want to take it. It's kind of like, yeah. It's the nuclear option when the allergies are half ready to kill you. When literally it's starting to get to be difficult to breathe through any pipe. <laughs> you know, that's what it's for. And I've only taken the one, and I was pretty desperate then. So, anyway, that's what I wanted to talk about. Uh, I've been seeing it start to pop up in the news. And, uh, you know, here's your takeaway. Okay? Infectious diseases are out there. It probably won't be Ebola, but the same defenses work against basically the whole smear of them. All right, we'll catch you next time. Bye.